So we're in, oops, there we go. So we're in our season of courage. And as a, a preview, as a preparedness thing, I wanted to talk about preparedness today. As many of you are aware, uh, on January 5th, I had the privilege of joining the Presbytery of Carpentaria. Um, now, when people ask, uh, what is the Presbytery of Carpentaria? It is the far north part of our uniting church. It's about the size of Switzerland. So it's a huge, huge territory. Um, and it covers about 46 churches and about 1,000 uniting church members across that massive span of territory. And as you can imagine, many, many communities were affected by the recent cyclones and probably will be affected by the cyclone that is right now threatening to hit the North Coast. Uh, what I saw when I was up there is I saw a people who were largely happy, who largely had a real sense of um, stick-to-itiveness, who felt, you know what, we've lived through this before, we're going to live through this again. But for those of us who are coming in from the south or from other parts of Australia, going through with the presbytery, and there were about four of us all together, it was devastating. It was hard to see how communities could bounce back from the devastation and the damage that we saw. But you know what they had? Rolani was talking about it before. They had hope. They had hope that they would rebuild, that they would go back to their land. There was one lady in particular, uh, we went to Wujo Wujo. Now Wujo Wujo was completely washed away and it was wrecked. It was absolutely wrecked. We could only go there with special permission. And she was there. She was the last of her Aboriginal community uh, and she was standing there and she was not going to leave. She was not going to budge. So we took, the, we took the troopie down, we bought her some groceries and we said a prayer over her, a prayer of protection, a prayer over the camp, a prayer over the land. And we said, Lord, please protect this dear lady. We said to her, so how come you didn't go with everyone else? Pretty much everyone else had left. How come you didn't go? She said, I have hope that they will be back. That was infectious, that hope. And I, she was the first lady we saw who was actually in a damaged area, in, a, in, a, in a, an area with the devastation. We took that hope everywhere we went. I'm not kidding you. We got in that troopie. We blasted worship music. We drove another nine hours north. <laughs> went to Hope Vale. We drove then out west. We got stopped at the Daintree because the ferry was full of rubbish and you couldn't actually cross over there. So that was a whole other ordeal. I'll share that story with you another time. But everywhere we went, we had hope. We had hope that we would see people, and we did. I think we probably saw about 40 people. We visited about three different, four different localities where Aboriginal people were, and we saw and encountered this infectious, beautiful hope. I think sometimes we take that for granted down here, don't you think? That even in the darkest of days, even when the rain is pouring, even when things seem bleak, there's still hope. We can still make the most out of those situations. And that was one of my lessons. That was their preparedness. They saw a cyclone coming. They saw danger coming on the horizon. So you know what they did? They stocked milk. They stocked bread. They stocked rice. But you know what they stocked most of all? That's right, people. 
And we forget to do that, don't we? In the comfort of our lives, when we have a full tank of gas, when we have food in the pantry, we forget that the one thing we need to stock up on is... And so we're going to be preparing. Because this year of courage, we're going to need hope. Jesus, in Luke 10, sent out the 72, and that, I said to you before, that is you, that is you and me. He sent them out into the community. We're going to look at, at, at that in a minute. But the thing that He sent them out to do was to share the gospel. Not in oppression, not in defeat, but in victory and in hope. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So Father, be with us. Speak Your Word. May we feel Your presence and Your Holy Spirit. May we know that it is You who guides and leads this community. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you, Betty. So in 1 Peter 5, Peter is saying, I appeal as a fellow elder and witness of Christ's suffering, who will also share in the glory revealed. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. He didn't say that you might receive the crown of glory. He didn't say that if you're good enough, you will receive the crown of glory. He he said that he would be an elder alongside us so that we will receive the crown of glory. See, here's the thing about a lot of Christendom. We have forgotten this. We have forgotten that there is an assurance of salvation. Jesus Christ died. Jesus Christ is resurrected. Jesus Christ is currently at the right hand of the Father. And that means that anyone that calls on His name will be what? Amen. Not might be saved. Not should be saved. But will be saved. Do you call on the name of Jesus? Do you call on the name of Jesus? You will be saved. That is an assurance. Let's start 24. Let's start 24 with that understanding, with that hope, with that knowledge. Because if we don't, if we think everything that we are doing is leading for nothing or potentially nothing, then we are already defeated. Then we're done. Close the windows, shut off the fans, lock the doors. Let's all go home. I have air conditioning. Everyone can come to my place. But we're not. We're here through this heat, through this situation. Why? Because we have that assurance. Back up, stop. Peter calls himself a witness. And that loses a little bit in our translation. Because the word witness in the original is Martyr. Did you know that? Now what is a martyr? Someone who? Dies. Why? Because being a witness to Christ means dying and coming back to life again. This is why Peter says you have that assurance of salvation. Because guess what? Paul tells us we have died with him. Therefore we are resurrected again with him. As we die to sin, Christ takes that place of honor over us. Back up please, Betty. 
This is the word witness. Because there is a cost. This is why we have to have hope, my friends. Because going out into the community and sharing the reality of Christ in our lives has a cost. And I don't need to tell you about that. But it is important that we know and understand. I'm taking this passage from Mark, but it's the same one from Luke 10 that I've been quoting you. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town, says Jesus to the 72. And if that place will not welcome you and listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet. As a witness against them. Being a witness is hard. Being a witness has a cost. Now I looked for this word. Apparently its origins are somewhere back in ancient Greek that is not known. But this is part of the judicial discourse of Pauline structure. Do you know what that means? It's a very big theological term that explains that the disciples wanted us to know that God is judge. And we, we are the convicted. Who is in the witness stand? Jesus. Jesus is the one who's actually saying, it was them. It was you. It was me. I'm here because of their sin. But do you know who our judge, our judge, do you know who our advocate is? Do you know who our lawyer is? Who is defending us? Who is there standing before the judge saying to that judge, you love this person in the guilty bin and yet you will not judge them. You will sanctify them. You know who that is? It's the Holy Spirit. So this picture of the martyr is Jesus giving that witness and that testimony and it's breaking his heart. But he has to do it. He has to convict us of sin. For we have to die to sin to be resurrected again. It is part of that hope. It is part of that reality. And we need to start 2024 with that understanding. Thank you, Betty. <coughs> Earlier in First Peter, he writes to the church. In His great mercy, God has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. That inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Is there anything conditional about that? No. It is given freely, willingly, lovingly. God is actually saying, in fact, this salvation is so good. I'm just, I'm just going to hold it here so that you don't fully realize what it is or how good it actually is. Because when you do, that's all you're going to do. You're, gonna, you're not going to eat. You're not going to sleep. You're not going to... All you're going to do is worship God all day, every day. Because why? Because you'll realize what an awesome thing He has done for you. And what's awesomer? Awesomer? Is that a, is that a word? More awesome. What is more awesome? Is that God wants to use you so that that 
Inevitable salvation is available for all those who would confess Jesus Christ as Lord and be what? Saved. This is hope. Not fleeting hope. I hope I win the lotto. I hope my sporting team will win this year. Not the Broncos. I've given up hope on that one. No disrespect. I hope that the cyclone will not hit. Not fleeting hope. But the hope that says, when the darkness comes, light is around the corner. You know, friends, in the time when the early Protestants were being persecuted and killed in droves, that was the saying of the Reformation. After the darkness, light will come. Post tenebrae lux. And that is a big part of the reason why we are here today. Because those fathers of faith, 500 years ago, held on to hope. And as their inheritors, as Christ's inheritors, it's not that much to ask, is it? So friends, hold on to that hope. Thank you, Betty. And as we do, let us understand and let us know what it is that God is doing in our lives and in our work. Now, Peter quotes this proverb and it's quoted again later on. I'll I'll touch on that in a minute. But I want you to know, we believe today, 2,000 years later, that this verse was being used as a catch cry for the early church. And I want you to know it. I want you to to hear it. I want you to feel it. The whole verse says, For the Lord detests the perverse, but takes the upright into His confidence. Actually, the original Hebrew says, Into His bosom. He takes you, the upright, and He picks you up, and He holds you, and He presses you, and squeezes you like this, until you can barely breathe. That is how much God loves you. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but He blesses the home of the righteous. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. The wise inherit honor, but fools get only shame. I've put that in brackets because our Bibles have it slightly different. The reason for this is because our Bibles have taken it from the Hebrew translation which is about 800 years later. But the disciples had the Greek translation, which was from 300 years before Christ. And in front of them, they had this very simple, very easy to remember phrase. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humbles. Those bibliophiles among you right now, if you're looking up Proverbs 3.34, that's the actual verse. You'll see it slightly different. That's not a mistake. That is just that the Hebrew embellishes. It's got more words But the Greek is more succinct. Why did the disciples like this? Because it was easy to memorize and it was easy to encourage others. And in that encouragement, they showed what? Hope. They had these quick little phrases that allowed them to go ahead because not everyone had access to Scripture. Not everyone had access to God's Word. But everyone could see hope. Everyone could see deeds of love. Everyone could see words of encouragement. Now we live in a world today where we have these wonderful little black boxes in our pockets, don't we? And most of us, I imagine, have Bibles on them, don't we? We can all access God's Word, but do we? 
A recent study says that most Australians only open their Bibles or look at their Bibles once per week. You want to guess when? Sunday morning around 9 a.m. <laughs> and that's okay. That's okay. Because we live in an age where we have so much information coming our way. It may not even be that helpful because, you know, people will say, oh, but I can hold the Bible alongside the Quran and, and the Bhagavad Vita and, and all of these other religious texts. But what makes the Bible different, in my opinion, is that I can live the Word of God and I can testify. I can bring that witness, that martyrion to the whole world through my words through my deeds. I'm telling you, church, we need to go back to what these disciples were doing. That's why he had this little quick phrase. Because he wanted to encourage the church to go out into the community and say, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. If you are humble in spirit, if you have been humbled by circumstance, if you have been humbled by society and the world, then God is on your side. And that was not a popular message in his day. It's not a popular message today. I just recently saw on Stan, I think it is, they're doing a TV series. It's called Prosperity. It's about a church. And it's all about the prosperity gospel. Because this is what people out there think about churches. They think that all we're talking about here is how we should give money. How we should make big, big, tall buildings that are empty during most of the week. That's not what we want, friends. We know that there has been an ongoing presence of worship in this place for over 150 years. And I'm not talking about the church. I'm talking about the Methodist preacher who wrote his horse from Bean Lee and ministered under that tree. His legacy is your inheritance, is our inheritance. And we need to keep that going. We're not preaching prosperity here. We are preaching what? Four, four letters. Starts with an H, ends with E. Say it with me. Hope. Because that's what this world needs. Thank you, Betty. James, the brother of Jesus, also quotes this passage. He begins with it. He begins by saying, God lifts up the humble. God brings, God goes against the proud. That's the way the order of it in the original. God brings up the humble. God goes against the proud. Why do you think that order is important? It sounds nice in English because we put it the other way around, but why is that order important? Because this was a spoken dialect, wasn't it? And the first thing they wanted to hear was the word of hope. You are humbled. God is for you. Thank you. He goes on to say, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Change your laughter to mourning. Change your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And He will lift you up. It's hard in a world of full tanks and full pantries to look for a God that promises us that it's not always going to be easy. 
But we have hope in something beyond that which we can immediately see. The author of Hebrews says that faith is the substance of the things unseen, but the things that are hopeful. I close my eyes and I see this church full of people worshiping our Lord. Maybe we don't see them right now. But it is the substance of that which is unseen. I see people all around here praising God, coming for help, coming for support, coming for hope. Maybe you can't see it now, but it is the substance of the things unseen. I see this community raising up ministers, chaplains, disciples of God, ready to go into the community and love and live in the name of Jesus. The author of Hebrews said, faith is the substance of the things unseen. Maybe you don't see yourself as a minister or as a chaplain or as a missionary. But I want to tell you it's what me and many others in this congregation are hoping for. Let hope be the fuel for our courage in 2024. Are you with me, church? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit, the sower and bestower of hope. And that Christ continues to do this great and awesome work in us and among us. I pray for all those listening online. Lord, we don't know them. We don't know their faces. We often don't know their names. We know a few of them. Lord, bless them with this word. And may they know that there is a community of hope here that is praying with them and for them. And may we all find our mission field in this 2024. May we all know where you lead. And what you lead us to do. And so I commit, commit each person listening right now. May we know and hear your voice. And lead us in hope. I pray in Jesus name. Amen.